0: What a joy to be together, guys. I am excited. We're going to be continuing our series on holiness today. Uh, last week, if you, if you got to be here, we, we opened this series talking about the holiness of God the Father. We talked about how, how, how um, God is so perfectly other, right? And how that has all these weird implications on reality. We looked at Isaiah's vision of the throne room of God Almighty. We talked about the supreme uniqueness of God. He is so perfectly, supremely good, so perfectly, supremely other that, that to be in his presence without holiness is to be consumed, which is super intense, right? Right? We talked about how this puts humanity in this horrible no-win scenario where we're made by God for intimacy with Him, but sin has made it such that if we were to step into His presence, right, to to experience intimacy with Him, it would utterly destroy us. Isaiah understood this and was dependent on God to intervene on His behalf. Today, we're going to continue this discussion by talking about the unique holiness of Jesus And what that means for you and me. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our our, our sweet Savior, is the bridge between the holiness of God and the profanity of mankind. Jesus is the way to God. You, you, You cannot know the Father, see the Father, be with the Father apart from the person and work of Jesus. It's as as simple and amazing as the gospel itself, right? We're simply understanding it through the lens of God's holiness. Now, I'm I'm serious when I say this, right? Like, I'm stoked to get into this. But we've got to kind of set the picture first. So our main text today is going to be in Mark chapter 1, and you're welcome to turn there. But before we actually read that text... We're going to jump back to the Old Testament. We're going to hang out with the prophet Ezekiel for a second. So in Ezekiel 47, we get this really unique and interesting imagery. You see, for several chapters of the book of Ezekiel, God himself takes the prophet Ezekiel in a vision to the temple mount and then shows him what God's temple or his throne room or his reign will look like in eternity in heaven. And he he literally starts measuring out rooms and spaces and describing what God's eternal palace and his heavenly throne room will be like in contrast to the existing temple in the years leading up to Judah's fall. It's this very strange piece of prophecy that, that if you don't fully understand some of the history of what was going on in temple worship, it just reads really weird. You have God giving Ezekiel a tour and giving him all the measurements as they walk around. It's like this weird mix between biblical prophecy and just like the DIY channel as God's walking around going, and this room's gonna be 45 feet wide. And you can see in the corners there, there's these gold statues. I really love those. It's it's a very strange picture, right? In Ezekiel 47, as the tour of the eternal temple is basically winding down, God shows the prophet one more thing, and we read this. This is the first verse of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 47, it says this. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. What a weird image. After this whole grand tour of heaven's temple, quote-unquote, It ends out with, oh, and and we have a pipe problem. (laughs) There's water leaking out of the back room of the temple. Now, if you remember last week in Isaiah's vision of, of God's eternal throne room, the inner room of the temple was called the Holy of Holies. It's where God's throne, the mercy seat, is present. In Ezekiel's vision, there's water pouring out of that room. Out of the Holy of Holies and flooding the temple and running out the front door. I don't know if you you guys ever had like a house flooding issue, a pipe burst, something backs up and you're in your basement and you're like up to your ankles in water. It's not a good feeling. It's not fun by any means. And and depending on what has caused that water to be in your basement, it can be a significantly worse experience, right? (laughs) We've only had that once and it was the bad kind at our house. (laughs) But this is the image we have. Here's God giving Ezekiel a tour of the temple, and they're standing there, and water is just rushing past them. Out of the Holy of Holies, out through the main sanctuary, out the front door, and just gushing down the temple mount. And then God takes Ezekiel, as as chapter 47 continues on, and he leads him down the hill, and they watch this water. And it gets deeper and it gets deeper and it turns into a river that gets so deep and is moving so fast that you couldn't wade across it or even swim across it safely. And eventually that river leads into the Dead Sea. And and this is where we get something that's really striking. And it's important, I think, for understanding our text today. You see, this water, according to Ezekiel, changes everything it touches, If anyone drinks of this water, they'll be full and miraculously sustained, according to Ezekiel. If any plants take water from this river, they'll bear supernatural fruit that sustain people so they they don't have to eat. And then God says, as this river makes its way out to the Dead Sea and touches the Dead Sea, if you don't know, this is this little inland sea in the middle of Israel that is like salty salt water, like as, as saline as water can get, right? God says that when this Water from this river touches the Dead Sea, it will transform the Dead Sea into fresh water. And that it will cause so many fish to live in the Dead Sea that anyone can walk up to the beach and throw a net and have more food than they'll ever need. And that this food will be that supernatural food that sustains you. It's this really strange image, right? Because God is using in Ezekiel the image of salt water and fresh water to talk about his holiness and uncleanliness. The river flowing from the temple will clean anything it touches. It will turn salt water into fresh water. The river of living, miraculous water flows out of the Holy of Holies from the very throne of God at the mercy seat into the world and purifies whatever it touches to the blessing of whoever interacts with it. What God is saying through the prophet Ezekiel is the solution to the problem presented in stories like the vision of Isaiah. Isaiah. God himself will work to transmit his holiness onto his sinful and broken creation so that they can dwell with him. Come on. You see, in temple worship, God must be totally separate from his people. His his throne is behind the veil. And I mean that literally. A massive hand-woven curtain that, that ends up being like three or four inches thick. Is, is put up between the Holy of Holies and the holy place or the, or the sanctuary. The, the, the place where God's presence dwells on earth in the temple, the, the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, is separated from even the most set-apart and holy priests. And only one priest a year is allowed to go behind the veil and stand in the presence of the Ark. And by the way, even this priest, they were so concerned about the holiness of God and the separateness of God that oftentimes, according to the, 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 the Mishnah and scripture, they would tie ropes around the ankle of the high priest just in case God struck him dead. So they wouldn't have to wait a year to get the body out of the Holy of Holies. And they would put bells on his feet to make sure he was still moving back there. Can you imagine being that guy? Yeah. It's, like, it's like your day. You finally got chosen. You get to go be the, the high priest and offer incense at the, at the altar of God. And you're so stoked. And then this, some guy comes up and just starts tying a rope around your ankle. Don't worry about it, bud. It's standard procedure. What are the bells for? Don't, don't worry about it, dude. You just go in there, offer your incense. And there's some guy back in the corner hiding, holding the rope, like tugging on it to make sure it's tight. That's intense, guys. God and man are inherently separated by the reality of the holiness of God and the reality of the sinfulness or profanity of humanity. But God has been promising from the beginning that he will fix the separation. And in this prophecy of Ezekiel, we see this beautiful image of that promise. God will bridge the gap and he will make a way for us to be together. What a glorious promise our God has given us. Which brings us to Mark chapter 1. So, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 39. And we're going to read through the end of the chapter. It says this. And he, he being Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will... You can make me clean. Now moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but rather go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof for them. And he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And this, beloved, is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we ask today, as we take a few minutes to be in your word, that you, Holy Spirit, that you would be our primary disciple, our teacher, that you would illuminate the text to us, that you would remind us of things forgotten that you would convict us where our heart needs it and that ultimately god we would we would leave this space today having heard from you god we want to hear from you we ask that you do this for us we love you jesus we pray these things in your name amen i love this text Mark is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and this is one of my favorite texts within all of Mark. If you remember way back when Wedtree went through the Gospel of Mark, I very aggressively claimed this text. This was one I wanted to get to preach, and I am excited to share it with you guys today. I love the lens that we get to bring to this text today as we look at it in light of the Bible's teaching on holiness. So here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to take us back to the story and look at a couple very specific historical issues and cultural issues that I think will help illuminate the text. And that's going to lead us to just just an amazingly simple gospel truth about holiness. And I think it's going to really bring us to just the hope of mankind. And we're going to end our time with some of Jesus' teaching from the gospel of John uh, and, and a thought from the book of Revelation. And then honestly, guys, if all goes according to plan, Just some time of abject worship and communion. Sound good? Rock and roll. So... Our text is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He has just begun to preach and travel through Galilee, kind of the northern part of Palestine. His his message is this proclamation that God's kingdom is here. God is doing something new. His his people get to be a part of this new thing he's doing. Mark loves, if you notice this, to to frame Jesus' ministry through the idea of spiritual warfare So immediately when when Jesus begins preaching and proclaiming this gospel message, immediately, right, he starts encountering demons and casting them out and healing the sick, which in Mark's world, like that kind of like deliverance ministry and healing ministry are, are, are very deeply connected. Jesus' reputation is starting to spread and people are coming to hear his message and receive his ministry from all over the region. Our text picks up in these exciting early days as Jesus is traveling from village and village to city (laughs) to city in this area, ministering, preaching this good news and, and, and doing these works. Our story picks up on the road between destinations. And what we see... Is that a leper approaches Jesus, begging him for help? Now that, in and of itself, is an incredibly loaded scene. Biblically speaking, leprosy refers to a range of skin affliction afflictions that seem to include everything from ringworm to Hansen's disease. Which is, I'm not a medical person. That's a pretty broad spectrum. But but if you go back and read about this, especially in the Old Testament, God's people were given really strict instructions on how to handle leprosy. Leprosy is set apart from other diseases in the Old Testament and in larger Jewish teaching and Jewish culture. Lepers were unclean in the most intense sense of that word. Once you had been declared leprous, you were forced to leave your job Leave your property, leave your family, and literally, physically live in exile outside of your community, outside of any community. Lepers were not allowed to worship. They were not allowed to work. They were not allowed to approach or touch other humans who weren't leprous, even spouses, even children. You can read about these really intense instructions, biblically speaking, in Leviticus 13 and 14, but these were expounded upon in the larger Jewish commentaries. But you can take this passage, biblical passage, as just kind of an example of what we're talking about. This is from Leviticus 13, starting at verse, verse 45. It says this The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his face and cry out, unclean, unclean, and he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean, and he shall live alone, and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Guys, this is intense. Leprosy is not like other diseases in the Jewish eyes. It's deeply linked to the Jewish people's understanding of ritual purity, which is just another term for holiness and profanity. It isn't so much a disease to be cured as it is an uncleanliness or profanity to be cleansed. And that's an important distinction to make. This leper approaches Jesus. And this is literally illegal. Illegal. He's, he is walking uncleanliness, and he is approaching this rabbi. He should be keeping his distance. And, and by the way, in, in the first century, we joke, right, about the priest going into the Holy of Holies and then putting bells on him. But, but in the first century, lepers were required to carry noisemakers with them so they could let passersby know they were lepers. And so this leper, rather than backing away and making noise and shouting unclean so that Jesus and his followers can take the wide path around, instead approaches Jesus. Walking uncleanliness. Kneeling at the feet of Jesus. Begging for help. And look, look what the leper says to Jesus. If you will... You can make me clean. Beloved, I would encourage you to sit with that. That line, does not move your heart? Like, I would encourage you to sit with this text on your own for a minute. Or maybe check your pulse. This man has no doubts about Jesus' ability. If you catch that? If you will, you can make me clean. His deeper concern is whether or not Jesus is willing to stoop to him. His unholiness is so much a part of his person at this point that rather than questioning Jesus' ability to heal, he questions his worthiness to receive the attention and ministry of one such as this. That's intense, guys. Now, depending on your translation, it either says that Jesus is moved with pity or with anger. It seems like wildly different words. The the word here is a little complicated. What we're supposed to see is that the effects of the curse on this man bring about Jesus' righteous anger and wrath and simultaneously bring out his pitiful affection. He is moved for this man and against his uncleanliness. And look at his response. We, we know from his ministry, from even like the next passage, that Jesus can heal and restore with a word, with a thought. But for this man, this man robbed of his imago day dignity by the effects of the curse. For this man, Jesus says, I will be clean. And he reaches out and touches them. And instantly, he is healed. I love this scene. This moment is absolutely vital for us right now. See, on the surface, this simply shows Jesus' immense compassion reaching out and touching a man who has been segregated and separated for society for who knows how long. He's restoring his dignity as well as his body. It's, it's genuinely a beautiful scene, but, but it's also significantly more than that. You see, according to the scripture, uncleanliness is transmissive to simply touch profane things. Like dead bodies, like body fluids, or like, oh, I don't know, a leper is to become unclean oneself. Uncleanliness, according to scripture, spreads simply with touch. It's it's transmissive. But not to Jesus. But not to him. Jesus does not become unclean by touching this man. His, his profanity does not transmit to Jesus. Rather, Jesus' cleanliness, Jesus's purity, Jesus' holiness transmits to this man, and he is made clean. Like a river turning the dead sea to fresh water, Jesus touches this man and makes him clean. Guys, I know that, right, like I'm, I'm hitting this big, but, but I need us to sit with this. Guys, this, this changes our world. I mean, consider this in light of our discussion thus far. This man, this, this leper, is, is, is a physical representation of what we already know about humanity. Sin has ruined creation. We've been separated from God, and we cannot possibly hope to cross the chasm. To even step behind the veil is to invite death. God's holiness has become, instead of this beautiful thing that draws us to life, it has become this terrible obstacle that destroys us by its very presence. We're left totally helpless and totally in need of God's intervention on our behalf. God has been promising from the very beginning that he will fix what sin has broken. And then we meet Jesus. Jesus, the promise of God fulfilled. And look what he does. He he touches the leper and makes him clean. A river turning salt water into fresh water. In his... Amazing Christology in Colossians 1, Paul says this amazing little truth about Jesus. He says this: He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. I'm, consider this amazing truth about our wonderful sweet Jesus for a moment. God's holiness makes him so completely and totally other that he is essentially invisible. Because we we can't be in his presence. We can't look upon him. Remember, Moses said, all all I want to do is I want to see your face. And God said, not going to work, dude. You'll drop dead. You can look at my back. If you see my face, it will overcome you. He might as well be invisible. We can't look at him. We certainly can't be with him. We can't look upon his face. He shows up in visions and analogies and he speaks through angels and messengers because his actual person is too other and too holy for our sinful selves. Like Isaiah, we all cry, woe is me. But Jesus, Jesus is God with skin and bones on. He is the full person of God. The fullness of God dwells within him. But he dwells in our midst. He lives among us. He is God visible, God approachable, God with us. Because you see, guys, this was the plan all along. All along. Humanity could not bridge the gap between our profanity to the holiness of God. We could not create a way on our own to be in the presence of such holiness. We we need help. And if we're honest, if we think about it, the help has always had to be God. He had to be the one to bridge the gap. He had to be the one to make a way. And beloved, Jesus is that bridge. In John 14, as Jesus was preparing for his coming death, he warned his disciples about his coming departure. Right? I'm not going to be with you. And Thomas, one of his apostles, says, how, how can we find you once you've left? How can, we, how can we be with you? How can we know where you are if you leave us? And Jesus says this to him in verse 6 of John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, then you've known my Father. And from now on, you do know him. And you've seen him. You've seen the invisible God. Because you know me. I'm the way to him. No one gets to him except through me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Beloved, do you hear this? Jesus is the way. Guys, this isn't some some elitist expression of exclusion. Jesus is simply expressing an immutable truth about the reality within which we live. No one can come to the Father without Jesus. He's the way. He's the bridge from sinful humanity to a holy and righteous of God. The, The person and work of Jesus is the way to holiness. Jesus' perfect life, his, his unjust death, his spirit filled resurrection, his ascension to the Father, and his eventual return to restore all things. This has made a way for us to be with our God. You see, Jesus' holiness transmits. He puts his holiness on. On us. This isn't just some, some workaround for Jesus to simply ignore sin. No, rather, Jesus takes on our profanity and our sin, and then gives us his holiness that we might be in the presence of our Creator, the lover of our souls, as Jesus takes our place. Think of our leper for a moment in the story. When this story starts, he's he's living out in the wilderness, away from people, away from life. He goes to Jesus. He's made clean. Jesus' instruction, right? Go, make the necessary sacrifices so you can rejoin society and your family. But but don't tell anyone what happens. He disobeys Jesus' orders to remain silent about the miracles so that suddenly Jesus is so hounded by so many people that he can no longer enter into cities and villages. And at the end of our text, we have a former leper who's in the city with his family and his friends, and we have Jesus out in the wilderness and desolate places. This switcheroo foreshadows how Jesus literally takes our place and pays for sin on the cross. We get his holiness and he gets our sin. We get the presence of God. He gets the wrath and the punishment. And Guys, think of what happened when Jesus paid that sin price on the cross think about this. The Gospels, all four tell us that when Jesus died, that curtain in the temple, remember that curtain? The one that's like four inches thick, the one that separates the sanctuary from the Holy of Holies, from the the, the people of God, from the throne of God. The moment Jesus dies and the sin price is paid, God tears that curtain from top to bottom and removes the veil. Beloved, our Jesus, our sweet Jesus, He is the bridge. He has made a way so that you and I can be holy, so that we can be with God, so that we can live into our design, and we can be united with our Creator. The river that is Jesus can truly turn salt water into fresh water because the holiness of God is strong. The holiness of God is stronger than the power of sin and the power of death. Because sin and death, they spread amongst us like a disease from person to person. But the very touch of our Jesus, his work, his ministry, it makes us clean. It makes the salt water of our souls fresh. It bears the fruit of life in us and sustains us. In the book of Revelation, God gives John a vision of what the world will be like when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom forever. And so in this vision, John sees God's eternal throne. Are we going to see a theme here? God likes showing off this building. I don't know what it is, but it's like every time he's got a prophet, he's like, hey, hey, come check out my crib. This is sick. You're going to want to see this. He measures it again in Revelation. So I don't know, maybe DIY channel is a thing in heaven. But uh, John is taken to see God's eternal throne. And what's amazing is that in John's vision, post-cross, right? God actually says, you know what? There's not even going to be a temple. We're going to tear the walls down so everyone can see it. It's all going to be out in the open. And the Holy of Holies is just going to be on top of the hill, and the throne's going to be right here, and every, anywhere anyone is, they're going to be able to just see it. there's not going to be any separation. And then there's this amazing picture. And on the other side of the cross. When Jesus returns and all things are made new and God establishes his kingdom on earth and the Holy of Holies is standing out in the open with no walls and no separation for all of his people to be in his presence all the time as his mercy seat sits there for all to see, what does John see coming out of the throne of God in the end of days? A river. A river. A river of life. And on the banks of that river are orchards of the tree of life. You know that tree, the one that once sin entered the world, God said, you can't be around that tree. And he set up guards and separated humanity from it and said, because of the reality of sin, you cannot eat of this tree. You know that one? In eternity, when Jesus has returned and made all things new. He will plant orchards of those trees everywhere for his people to partake in. And to eat of the life of our God, the life of our creator. (laughs) Because Jesus has made a way. Jesus has made a way for all of his people. Hear this, guys. All of us, through Jesus, through his work, through his ministry, have been made holy. And given the abundant life that God has always had in mind for his creation. That when when everything, when the dust Settles, and the things of this world are no more, and the powers and empires and everything that seems so big and so important now, when they are washed away and gone, and all that remains is God and his kingdom and his people, we will stand at the river of our Jesus and eat of the tree of life and be in his presence for eternity, because has made a way for us to be holy. Like, you. come on. Beloved, this is the gospel. As simple as it is, you and I, profaned by sin, but made holy by our sweet, sweet Jesus. Amen. I'm going to pray for us. And I'm just going to ask us to sit in that for a minute. Because I don't have some cool like application for that. Because what do you say for that beyond just praise God? He's made a way. I know that for every single one of us here, whether you are already in Christ or not, that means something for you. If you're not in Christ, there's an invitation. He's made a way you can be holy. If you are in Christ, hey, guess what? There's a beautiful invitation there. Jesus has made a way you can be holy. There is nothing separating you from Him. So let's let's take a few minutes. I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come up here. I want us to sit in this truth. Because Jesus has made a way for us. He is the bridge. You and I have access to the holiness of God through the grace of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to pray, and we're just going to celebrate that. Is that good? We're just going to sit in that amazing truth. Jesus, you are so good. We love you so much that I can't believe, just can't believe you made a way for us. The promise is as good as accomplished. When you said on day one that you would fix this, that should have settled it in my heart, God. But I'm so quick to doubt. us to be whole. Spirit, draw us to this truth. Draw us to joyful submission, joyful participation in your gift. Draw us to worship gratitude and thankfulness for your generosity. We desperately need it.